who love to study the Bible would say that Romans is one of their favorites. One of their favorites. And I will tell you that this is the book, the book that we're looking at today, the book of Romans, 16 chapters. This is the book that ignited Martin Luther's heart when he, and, and I would say perhaps even probably kick-started the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. This is the same book that warmed John Wesley's heart when he began a revival, or he was the leader of a revival in England in the 18th century. And this is the book that burned in Karl Barth's heart as he led Europe out of liberalism in the 20th century. So you see, it's timeless, this book, right? That changes churches, it changes lives regardless of the time. I want to tell you this quick little story of Pastor Ray Stedman, um, who was a pastor in California uh, a long time ago, but he came from Montana, and he says this, and I think this is really powerful of the book of Romans. He said, a church I know of in Montana was once regarded as the most liberal church in the city of Great Falls. The pastor was in Chicago on occasion, and he went to the Moody Church to see what the fundamentalists were saying, because he wanted to be able to have something to criticize them for. So he listened to a famous preacher named Dr. Ironside, teaching the book of Romans, and that message captured his heart. Afterward, he talked to Dr. Ironside, who gave him a copy of his lectures on Romans, and the man read the book all the way back on the train to Montana. By the time he reached Great Falls, he was a transformed man, and he began in his pulpit to proclaim the truths of God in the book of Romans, and that church was transformed. And so Pastor Ray states, I've had the experience of seeing a completely liberal church transformed to an evangelical testimony in the space of just a few years because of the power of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is gold from beginning to end. Some say it's the key to all the scriptures, to all the books of the Bible. In fact, I know a pastor who just texted me this morning telling me he was praying for me. He's a He's a very godly man. He took his church through the book of Romans, and it took him seven years. Verse by verse, he went through the book of Romans. That's how important he thought it was. I encourage you to make a steady diet of the book of Romans. Read it once a week. It will take you as deep as you want to go in theology. It will take you as deep as you want to go, and yet the message, the really the central message, if you will, is simple. It's straightforward. And it's the road, really, to salvation. As a new Christian in my 20s, just a couple years ago, you know, <laughs> this was the first book I read. My mentor challenged me. New Christian, on fire for the Lord. He said, Matt, read the book of Romans. See what God does. And so I began to read it, and I remember distinctly reading it for the very first time, and there was this one verse that jumped off the page at me. I mean, it hit me upside the head harder than my mother did when I walked through her house with muddy shoes as a kid. It really got my attention. It was Romans 12.2. And I will tell you why a little bit later on, but it's kind of become my life verse, Romans 12.2. I often will preach on it, and I haven't really talked about it in a while, but you're going to hear about it today. 
The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote a lot of the church epistles, the letters to the church. But the cool thing is, is that he never was actually in Rome when he wrote it. You read that in the first chapter. He wanted to go to Rome, but he had not been there yet. And I told you back when I went through the Gospel of Mark that the Gospels weren't even written, but Rome, Romans was, and it was in circulation. So it comes early on in the writings of the New Testament. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, did not, to my knowledge, receive any kind of degree, any kind of master's degree or doctorate or anything like that. But if he did, I guarantee you this would be his thesis or his dissertation, because that's how it's written. You see, I wrote a thesis for my first master's, and it took me six months to write it. Writing a thesis or a dissertation is a lot of work. If you've ever done one, you know what I'm talking about, because you have to research and research and research and read and read and read until your brain can't take it anymore. And then once you have all of that, then you have to write and write, and write, and write, and then you have to test what you've written, or or, or test the results, and analyze them, and write a conclusion, and if it's a dissertation, which I'm not brave enough to do at this point in my life, you have to defend it to people who will try to poke holes in it before you can become a doctor, get your doctorate. So the book of Romans, in my opinion, is the best dissertation that's ever been written, because when you look at it, you realize Paul has one major statement, one question that he wants to answer, and he answers it through all 16 chapters. And that one sentence, that one statement that he has is actually a quote from the Old Testament prophet, which is the other book you were to read, just three chapters, from a guy named Habakkuk. How'd you like to have that name? Habakkuk. (laughs) Habakkuk said, the righteous live by faith. And Paul made that his central statement, the theme of Romans. And he defends it. If it was in question form, Paul would say, um, are you saved by faith alone in Christ alone? And then he would write to say, yes, you are. The righteous live by faith. In fact, he shows us in the Romans 8.30, which we can have up on the screen, those he predestined, He called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. That's the order of salvation, if you will. God has truly done all the work from beginning to end. What's your job? What's my job? Believe. Just believe. That's our responsibility. I think uh, in the first eight chapters of Romans, you see, if we're going to break it up and and help you understand the structure of it. The first eight chapters is about justification. Explained. You are justified through Jesus Christ alone. And in fact, when you get to Romans 8, I don't know about you, but when I read Romans 8, every time I read it, it just brings unbelievable comfort to my heart. It's the most calming, most wonderful. I mean, how can you not read Romans 8 and be comforted? It's wonderful. In fact, Logan is a young man in our church, and he is just on fire for God, and he loves to memorize Scripture. And So I asked him to come up and help. We were doing a little bit of work yesterday, and he says, come on, give me a challenge. And I said, all right, memorize Romans 8. This was like Tuesday, you know. And yesterday, he almost had the whole thing memorized. 
He has a hunger for the word. But let me read to you the last three verses of Romans 8. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. But you say, well, what about, no, nothing, stop, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ when, you're you, when you are saved in, by faith in Christ alone. And I give you a suggestion, if you don't uh, um, uh, mind, if I give you a suggestion, of course, if you don't struggle with sin, then just ignore me, right, the next few things I say. But if you struggle ever with sin, um, <clears throat> read Romans 8 every day. I promise you, it will help. When you just focus on the words of Romans 8 and you recognize your place in God's hand as a Christian and how you're supposed to live your life, you will be comforted. You will be able to overcome. After the first eight chapters, you have three chapters of Paul focusing on the nation of Israel, really the Israelites, God's chosen people. And um, they were to live by faith as well. He tries to explain to them, the righteous live by faith. And he talks about Abraham and Moses, but um, they didn't respond to that message um, as he was stoned and beaten and all kinds by, by the Jewish people. But after the 11 chapters, chapter 12 starts off with a word in Scripture. When you see it, this, you'll know what to do with it now. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you ask yourself the question, what's it there for? All right, that's a little trick I learned in uh, my hermeneutics class, all right, in my homiletics. So you ask the question, what's it there for? It's a transitions uh, word. It helps us understand, why did Paul write 11 chapters about God's grace and mercy? Because in chapters 12 through 16, he's going to tell us how to live. How do we apply it? How do the righteous live by faith? Romans will change your life. I know because it changed mine. It's a life-changing book. And if God has been speaking to your heart, maybe, maybe you just coming today is a step wanting to know about God more, I will tell you, read Romans. You want to know God more? You need to know Romans more. Because it explains the truths of God. Read it every week. And in fact, I hope after today, you'll memorize five verses in Romans because if you do, then you can explain to someone what it means to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's called the Romans Road, and that's what we're looking at today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please, God, help us to hear your message. May the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts today. May I become less and you become more. May your words just get inside our minds and our hearts and change us and transform us. May our minds be renewed. May we know your will, your good, pleasing, and perfect will today. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. when you yell out, you give me encouragement. So I appreciate that. A little amen every once in a while is good. A little clapping for the band is sometimes encouraging to them too as well. Uh, I saw the drummer, right? Bill's kind of giving you the, the beat there. And there was a couple of you like this, you know. It's like, come on, we can do it. It's encouraging. So in your program, you have, on your seat somewhere there's a program, and if you didn't get one, we'll get you one. But in there is actually five questions in, in five verses. 
think there's five questions. Well, there might be a few more verses, but it's the Romans road, and it's the verses that will help you explain and understand, uh, help someone understand what it means to be a Christian, what it truly means to be a Christian. Um, just because you grew up and be maybe your family, maybe your, your, your parents got you baptized when you were a baby, and maybe you went through some, some rituals in the church that you grew up in, um, maybe even you, you um, wanted to please your parents so you got baptized um, as, a, uh, as an adult or as a, as a teen or something like that, that doesn't make you a Christian, is my point. Okay, what, what makes you a Christian, okay, is when you decide in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you receive forgiveness through him. You can't justify yourself in any other way. And that's kind of what the Romans road is all about. It's that, you know, as I said before, the only justification, right, is through the blood of Christ. And so when we get into the Romans road here, I want you to understand that because it's a simple way to help someone um, believe and understand what does it really mean to be a Christian. We live in this free country, right? And so you could, you could walk out here today a new Christian, and there's no danger in that, right? Which makes it a little, sometimes, I don't want to say watered down, but a little simpler for us to say, oh yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. But there are countries and there are places in this world where if you were to walk out of here and say, I'm a new Christian, you better go run for cover because they're going to come after you and they're going to kill you because you're not what they want you to be. So we have some freedom here to worship, and I'm happy for it. Um, but I don't want us to ever take being a Christian lightly because I think it's more than just a prayer we pray. It's more than an, a, a, a baptism or something that happened in our life. It's, it's a walk with God. It's a walk with God. It's an it's a, it's a everyday worship God experience. That's what it means to be a Christian. So if you're willing to share your faith, um, that would be my first question um, because I see in Scripture here that uh, not everybody is willing. Now, last week, if you were with us, um, we went through the book of Acts, and then the, the, the title of that message was, Can I Get a Witness? Right? Can I get a witness from the congregation? Can I get a witness? And that really is just the question of, from Acts 1.8, we're called to be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. St. Clair Shores, Macomb County, right? Michigan, ends of the earth. Well, if you're willing to be a witness, to share your faith, this is how you do it. This is how you can share your faith with someone. This is how you can have a conversation with someone and share the gospel with them. But seriously, though, are you willing to do it? Like, are you afraid to share your faith? Are you ashamed to share your faith? Because Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Whoever you are, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. The righteousness or the righteous shall live by faith, verse 17. So here's the thing about being nervous or shy about sharing your faith. Okay, I know a lot of people who are very quiet about their faith and they don't share their faith. Don't be ashamed or shy, and here's why. If people were to reject you, if you were to share your faith with someone and encourage them to become a Christian, like you, you might be afraid that they're going to say no. Okay, well, just understand something. 
they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. They're saying no to God, not to you. And if they happen to say, yes, I want to be a Christian, then don't pat yourself on the back because <laughs> they're not saying yes to you. They're saying yes to God because God has moved in their heart and they're saying yes. So truly then, the conclusion we come to is you can only go wrong when you don't share your faith. That's the only time you can go wrong. The victory is not their response. The victory is you sharing your faith. You being willing to do it. Isaiah said it wonderfully in chapter 55, verse 11, which I don't have on the screen for you, but he said, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth shall not return empty, void. Does not come back void. I shall, it is, the word shall accomplish its purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I mean, there are people that you can plant the seed and plant the seed and plant the seed and water the seed and water the seed and water the seed and then all of a sudden that little green thing comes out of the ground and then there's growth. So we can't give up. We got to do it. Romans 10, 17, Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do people get saved? How do they know Christ? you got to tell them. That's the whole point. God uses you and your words to help people understand and know and become a Christian. In fact, he says in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You don't have to be a preacher to preach the good news. You just have to witness, testify, tell your story. We all like to tell our own stories, right? Tell your story. How'd you become a Christian? What happened in your life? Tell them. Share it with them. So if you're willing to share your faith, wonderful. You can't lose when you do that. And once you decided to share, I do recommend you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. We see that in the book of Acts. We saw that. That they would pray and ask, where do we go next? Where do we go next? And the Holy Spirit would lead them. God will open up doors for you. It's amazing when you begin to pray and say, God, I really want to share my faith. Show me who to share my faith with. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in this position or this situation where it's like, wow, like they want to hear about it. I can tell, like they're thinking about it. And then you have the conversation with them. How does that conversation go? It generally begins with a question that you might want to ask, like in your own words, but my question I think I put on your program says, are you right with God? Are you good with God? Do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven? There's a few responses people have to this question. If you're bold enough to ask them that question, I find that to be the hardest part, by the way, getting the conversation going. Once it gets going, then it just flows. But the first question is a hard one. Are you right with God? Are you good with God? Do you know for sure you're going to be going to heaven? If God took you tomorrow, you know, if you, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Like, how do you know for sure? Well, there's a few different responses to this, okay? And you might have had these conversations. You might know what I'm talking about. But the first response that people generally have who are somewhat religious, I would say, or maybe have some kind of, of faith, um, but they're truly not there yet, um, they would say something like, well, yeah, I'm good because I'm not a bad person. Now, right there, that should be a clue to you that um, they don't quite understand the scriptures. They don't quite understand the Bible, what the Bible teaches us. And in fact, they don't understand what Romans teaches us because Romans says, right, for the first six chapters, if you will, or seven, 
I guess we probably, yeah, probably the first seven chapters, Romans explains to you that whether you have the law, the commands, or not, whether it's written on paper for you or written on your heart, you are not a good person. Sorry to say that. I'm very sorry. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> All right? But here's your first verse to memorize. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We're not perfect. Only he is perfect. So because we're not perfect, we need a plan. We need something to happen. But I also bring up to your attention Romans 5.12. Sin came into the world, Paul says, through one man. That's Adam, the first man, right? And death came as a result of sin. And death spreads to all of us because we are born, because we come from Adam, we're born with a sin nature. We can't justify ourselves. Can I give you an example of how Romans is true? Last uh, uh, October 4th, I think it was um, a couple Sundays ago, the Macomb Daily had a front page story on the faith section. I always kind of look at the faith section to see what, what's being printed in there. And there was a title, big letters, Porn Problem. And uh, I started to read the article written by Samuel Perry, Associate Professor of Sociology and Religious Studies at the University of Oklahoma. And he did this survey. Now, I taught statistics, okay, in high school for a long time. And so he had some really nice, compelling graphs and, and results, and so I was drawn to that. But let me give it to you uh, real briefly here, what he found as a result. Viewing porn affects a person's happiness in life and in marriage. Now, you may not find that surprising. Okay, whoopee-doo, I get, okay. So you view porn and it affects your, your satisfaction of life and your marriage. But here's what was really interesting about the study. He found a significant difference between those people who go to church and those who don't. You see, people who go to church were significantly, their satisfaction in life and marriage dropped significantly because they viewed porn regularly. But those who didn't go to church, it didn't really change. It barely changed their, their, um, their view of happiness. And what it's saying here is, is what we see in Romans. Because in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes that some are going to ignore God's law, they're going to suppress the truth, and they're going to approve of those who live in sin. They just won't care. And that's exactly what he found in his results. People don't care. It's not affecting their happiness. But in Romans 7, Paul says, Back verse 15, he writes, I don't even understand my own actions. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. And he says in verse 24, Wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When sin was recognized by the law, which made it recognizable to Paul, he knew, this sucks. This is terrible. This is wrecking my life. Just like the results showed in the paper it's played out. Romans is exactly true. So the first step in the Romans road, admitting we fall, we fall short of God's glory. Now, there are people who respond a little differently, perhaps. Maybe you'll come across someone who you want to share your faith with, and their response is not, oh, I'm a good person. Well, you know how to correct that, Romans 3.23, right? But how do you answer someone who says, oh, man, I'm, I know I'm a bad person. In fact, I'm so bad, I'm not forgivable. I know I'm going to hell, and I don't know what to do about it. I don't, I don't think I can do anything about it. 
Well, here's where you've got to bring to them the second verse, really, and I'll read the verse 7 ahead of that. Romans 5, 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Isn't that true, right? Though perhaps for a good person, someone might dare to die. But what Romans 5, 8 tells us, that God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just let that sink in. While we were still sinners, Christ went to the cross and died for us. Someone, no one was, is going to die for us if they're a bad person. That's our human nature. Paul says, no, Jesus died for every sin, for every person. So if you came here today or you happen to talk with someone who thinks that they're just too far gone, you need to correct them with Romans 5.8. They're not. They're not too far gone. Nobody is. Now a third response is some people will say, you know what, I don't care I don't really believe in God. I'm just going to do what I want. I'm sure you've had conversations with those people. Okay? I understand. Okay? Maybe it's your mean neighbor who shoots your cat, and that might not bother you that they're in that position. All right? But probably you know someone that you really do care about, a loved one, and they are in that boat of, I don't really care. I don't really believe in God. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. My response to those people is always, Keep praying, keep planting the seed, keep watering it, right? God can change their heart at any point. That's about all we can do and just pray and hope that God will open their eyes to the truth. Now, once you've got Romans 3.23 down and Romans 5.8, well, Romans 5.8 kind of answers the question, what did God do? And he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners. I liken the bank account, if you like this example, okay, what happened when Jesus died on the cross? God looked at your sin account, withdrew all of it, and deposited it into Jesus' account. He took all your sin and put it on Jesus. Because where there is no blood, right? Where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you're forgiven only by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is something we must understand. Jesus was crucified for you. And there is no condemnation, therefore, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how Romans 8 starts. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So memorize Romans 5.8. Romans 6.23, the third verse for you to memorize, is uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's kind of a summary. When you go to work, you earn a wage, Right? You earn it. Well, the wages of sin, when you sin, the wage you earn, that's death, separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So you get to have fellowship with God forever through that free gift. So that's Romans 6.23. The fourth question is, how do you receive the gift? Well, I tell you, it is not three easy payments of $29.99. To get the free gift. (laughs) It's not an infomercial, all right? The free gift is received, as Paul says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, 13. Those are your two verses, your final two to remember, to memorize. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? And you believe in your heart, 
God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10.10 says, With the heart we believe and are justified, and with the mouth we confess and are saved. And here's the best verse, I love it. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The righteous live by faith. Isn't it? It's a wonderful verse. Now, I have many times in my life as a youth leader, um, talking with children, okay, even at Vacation Bible School, how do you receive this free gift? And sometimes we teach the ABC prayer. You might have heard of the ABC prayer. A for admit, right? Admit that you're a sinner. B for believe. Believe Jesus Christ died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. And C, confess. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. So you could pray that prayer right now, right? I remember sharing my faith with my sister when she was a first year at college. And that very night, she went to back to her dorm room and she prayed this prayer, just a simple prayer, and accepted Jesus Christ into her heart, into her life, and she became a Christian. And she's a follower of, of Jesus even today. You just pray that prayer. It's a conversation with you and God. You can do that. And that's the Romans road to salvation. Five verses. Can you memorize five verses? Can I get an amen? amen? Of course you can. You can lead someone to faith. But please don't stop there. I've got to tell you, as I've been in many youth uh, retreats and such, is that we get really excited. I've, and I've seen churches get really excited. It's like, I could end this message right now. I could say, if anybody wants to receive Jesus Christ right now, everybody with their head, their, you know, their, their eyes closed, their head down, and just raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus Christ. And, and, and you know what? We might get 15 people raise their hand today, and, and then I could just get so excited about those 15. And I would, don't get me wrong. But folks, that's just the beginning. Salvation is just the beginning. You invite someone to know Jesus Christ. To, to, you, you tell them those five verses. You ask them the question. They receive Christ. That's exciting, and that's the beginning. But that's like inviting someone to your house and saying, you just hang out on the porch while I go inside and enjoy myself. Bring them inside. Come on now. Feed them. Show them around. Make them disciples, right? That's what we need to do. We need to be a church that does that, and I believe we do because we teach the Word of God here. Romans 8 will explain to you that Christianity is not just a prayer you pray. Christianity is a journey of walking with God. And when you walk with God, you have the Holy Spirit in you because when you receive Christ, as we say it, um, when we believe, God blesses you, blesses you with the Holy Spirit. I almost got to say, God bless you, right on cue. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will give assurance that you are a child of God. That's in Romans 8.16. The Spirit will sanctify you. If you're struggling with the sin, even as a Christian, because it doesn't stop. Does sin stop when you become a Christian? <laughs> no. Right. So Romans 8.6, this is why I say, pray, read this every day if you're struggling with sin. To set the mind on flesh is death. So if all you do is focus on that, focus on that, focus on that, you're going to do it. But if you set your mind on the Spirit, now you have a life of peace. That's peace. So every day, it's a sanctification day. That's the word that shows that we're living our life for God. Every day we're trying to um, remove the sin out of our life and, and have joy and peace, the fruits of the Spirit. And every day is also a day of worship, which brings us to Romans chapter 12. 
Worship, I believe, is a 24-7 response to God's grace and mercy, his free gift to you. How do you respond to that? Well, it's worship. I know we think of worship as singing the songs. That's, we call it worship music. But worship is not that. Worship is when you tithe. I heard Weston Grace say that they never stopped tithing the whole time. And look what God did. He poured out his blessings. We talked about the Malachi challenge. When you give to God with all your heart, he pours out his blessings on you, and he blessed them with a home. He blessed them. We got we to gotta give with all our heart, and we got to worship in everything we do. Our time, our money, it's always a response to him. What do you believe about God? It, you know, well, Jesus said it, right? Where your treasure is, your heart will be, right? So every day is, a, is an opportunity to worship. Romans 12.1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Every day we worship God. But of course, there's a challenge, right? There's a distraction. There's an obstacle. And it's called the world we live in. (laughs) Right? I mean, I would love to go to church every single day. But there's a challenge in that, right? The world. We gotta go, we gotta go to work, we gotta go to school, right? We gotta, we gotta live our lives. And that's the challenge. How do we worship through that all? And this is where I got my two by four upside the head. Romans 12, 2. Now I memorized it in the NIV because I used to read the first Bible my mom gave me was an NIV, and so I memorized it. Um, but uh, this is a little different because we I now teach from the ESV version. Of the Bible. So don't conform. By the way, if you want a free Bible, please take one off the table by the, between the couches back there. They are there for you. They were donated for that purpose so you could have a Bible. Romans 12.2 says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. Why did that verse jump out at me as a Christian? Why did the Holy Spirit yell that at me? I tell you why, because growing up, my family moved a lot. In kindergarten, I went to Romeo schools. In first grade, Lansing. Second through fifth grade, Nuego, which is out by Muskegon. Part of fifth grade, Marysville. And the rest of fifth grade, West Branch. All the way through ninth grade. Fifth grade, I went to three schools. After West Branch, we moved to St. Clair Shores in tenth grade. All the way through my uh, senior year. And then I went to College of Michigan Tech up in Houghton, Michigan. So I've got a lot of Michigan covered, folks. And I will tell you, every time I moved, what do young people need to do first? Make friends. And I was always trying to make new friends. Always trying to fit in. Everywhere I went, trying to fit in. And then I read this verse and God says, Matt, don't try to fit in with the world. I've got a plan for you. You need to follow me. That's all you need to fit in. You want to know your purpose in life, Matt? You want to know why you were born? You were born for me. You were born to bring me glory. You were born to shepherd my sheep, to lead my church, to teach people the word of God. This is my spiritual act of worship. And I know that if you read Romans, there will be a verse that will hit you upside the head too. It will speak to you. And it's a wonderful thing when it happens, when it speaks to your heart. And I look forward to hearing from you someday, come up to me and say, you know what, I read through Romans, and there's this one verse, and it spoke to me, 
I'd love to hear that. Because I think Romans is life-changing. Do you think so? I think it's an awesome book. I pray it will help you lead others to saving faith. I pray that um, if there's an objection someone has to Christianity, I'm willing to bet. Matter of fact, I put all my money on it. Romans will answer it. Because Paul has got it covered. The Holy Spirit spoke through him. I hope you will be challenged to memorize these verses. And I hope maybe even if you came here and you're not a Christian, but you heard what it means to be a Christian, maybe you want to accept Jesus Christ, you want to follow Jesus, you want to um, live as a Christian, I pray that you would just pray that simple prayer. Remember that, ABC, admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, and confess him as your Savior. Amen? Amen. I invite the band to come up and play our final song. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the book of Romans. I thank you for Paul for being faithful in writing it. I pray, Lord, that it would continue to teach us. I pray we'd make a steady diet of it and read it all the time. I pray this church would would just know and understand the truth. That's what we do here, God, at Life of Purpose. We preach your word. We teach your word. We live by your word. We truly believe the righteous live by faith. And I thank you, Father. Thank you for this great day, this opportunity we have to gather together and and have some chili and some good food and some great conversations. I pray, Lord, that more than anything, more than, um, more than food warming our bodies, may your Holy Spirit feed us, feed our soul. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.